0: Good. Well, it is our immense privilege and honor to look at God's Word again this evening, isn't it? And may God's Word do its work in our lives, in our hearts, and our minds. So we're in Hebrews chapter 4, and it's verse 14 through to chapter 5, verse 10. It's on page 1204. In the church Bibles, 1204. So let's remind ourselves who were the Hebrews? Children, anyone remember who were the Hebrews? Yes? Yeah? Anyone else? So the Hebrews, in relation to the book of Hebrews, were probably a church made up of people who had a Hebrew background, so sort of Jewish Christians. So Jews who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. They'd come to faith in Christ. And sadly, this Hebrew church was seriously thinking of turning their back on Christianity. They were seriously thinking of going back to Judaism, Probably because they thought Christianity was too hard. They must have thought, well, life was so much easier when we weren't Christians. Or maybe they might have said, oh, I really miss Judaism. Do you think those are kind of the things they might have said? Life was so much easier when we weren't Christians, and I really miss Judaism. And I think it's probably fair to say that there are many Christians in the world tonight, maybe not necessarily here, but I think there are many Christians in the world tonight, in their darkest and most deluded moments, similar thoughts cross their mind. Do you think so? I think there are some Christians tonight who are thinking my life would be so much easier if I weren't a Christian. Do you know someone who's maybe sort of thinking that, or maybe saying that, oh, do you know, my life would be so much easier if I weren't a Christian? Or maybe they say, do you know what, I miss being a non-Christian. Maybe in their darkest moments, most deluded moments, obviously, they say, do you know, I miss a lot about being a non-Christian. Life was so much easier when I weren't a Christian. Now, a big theme in the book of Hebrews is don't give up. Keep going right to the end. Do you think that's fair to say? Don't give up. Keep going right to the end. Now, even if we've never had that thought, maybe most of us here tonight have never had that thought, oh, my life was so much easier when I was a non-Christian. And maybe most of us here tonight have never had that thought, oh, I miss being a non-Christian. But if we're humble, we should all acknowledge that it could happen to us one day. But for the grace of God, we aren't having those thoughts. We're not saying those phrases. Life was so much easier when I was a non-Christian. I really miss being a non-Christian. So the question we should all ask, or the question we should all be prepared to answer is... What must I do to keep going right to the end? We should all have an answer to that question, shouldn't we? What must I do to keep going right to the end? And the answer, believe it or not, is quite simple. It's not easy, but it's quite simple. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. This is the answer, isn't it? What must I do to keep going right to the end? Hebrews 4. This is 14 to 16. What do we read there? This is the word of God. Therefore, in light of everything we've heard before, in light of the fact you were considering forsaking the living God that we read in chapter 3, verse 12, wasn't it? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what must we do to keep going right to the end in the Christian faith? Well, there are two things there, aren't there? Verse 14, what's the first one? What must we do to keep going right to the end in the Christian faith? Verse 14, hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hold firmly to the faith you professed. That's what they say, if you, anyone ridden a horse here, You need to hold on tight or you fall off, don't you? In the same way, in the Christian life, you need to hold on tight or you'll fall, isn't it? Hold firmly to the faith we profess. And then secondly, what else must we do to keep going right to the end in the Christian faith? Verse 16, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when those dark thoughts, when those deluded thoughts come, oh, it'd be so much easier if I was a non-Christian, or I really miss being a non-Christian. We need to say, God, I need your help (laughs) to fight these thoughts, to fight these attitudes. We need to hold firmly to the faith we profess And we approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that's the what, isn't it? That's the what. That's what we should do to keep going right to the end in our Christian life. But what's the how? Okay, I know what I must do, but how do I do that? How do I hold firmly to the faith I profess? How do I approach God's throne of grace with confidence? To receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And the how is in verse... 14 and 15, isn't it? What do we read in verse 14? Therefore, since we have a great high priest, and verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So the how is because Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest. We can hold firmly to the faith we profess because Jesus is our great high priest. We can approach God's throne with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because Jesus is our great high priest. Isn't that wonderful? So the only way we can keep going right to the end in our Christian life is because of Jesus, because Jesus is our high priest. And because Jesus is our high priest, we can hold firmly to the faith we profess, and we can approach God's throne with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this evening, we're thinking about Jesus being our great high priest. Now, the apostle probably would have given the Hebrews another little mini heart attack by calling Jesus a great high priest, wouldn't he? He said some shocking things to them already, isn't he? Sort of, Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. Now he's saying Jesus is greater than the high priest. Now, the apostles already referred to Jesus as being high priest twice already, isn't he? Chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 3, verse 1. And the Apostle is going to do this through the rest of the book of Hebrews, constantly referring to Jesus as the high priest, the great high priest. Now, for the Jews, there was no greater office than high priest. It's a bit like Roman Catholics. What's the highest office you can have in Roman Catholicism? The Pope, isn't it? Can't get higher than the Pope. But with Judaism, no higher office than the high priest. So the Jews would have spoken with great reverence about the first high priest, sort of Aaron, wouldn't they? And I think maybe these Hebrew Christians, this sort of Jewish church, I think they probably would have said this sentence, we want to turn back to Judaism so that we can have a high priest. Do you think they'd have said that? You know, we liked having a high priest. We want to turn back to Judaism so we can have a high priest again. And the apostle is basically telling them, as Christians, you've already got a high priest. His name is Jesus. And the apostle is basically telling them, look, you turn back to Judaism and the high priest you'll have then isn't as good as Jesus. That's our other sort of unofficial title for our series in Hebrews, isn't it? Jesus is better. So Jesus is better than the earthly high priest in the order of Aaron, isn't it? But then the question we're thinking about, how is Jesus a high priest? And how does Jesus qualify to be a high priest? But before we answer that question, how is Jesus a high priest and how does he qualify to be a high priest? Before we answer that question, let's find out what the main work of the priest was, the main work of the high priest, and how anyone, how anyone could qualify to be a high priest. So let's have a look at chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2 to begin with. So Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters relating to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. So, what was the main work of the high priest? Well, the main work of the high priest was to go to God on behalf of the people. So, we've heard of the offices prophet, priest, and king. So, what was the work of the prophet? Well, the work of the prophet was to go to the people on behalf of God. So prophet went to the people on behalf of God. What was the work of the priest? To go to God on behalf of the people. So he was like a a representative. Now we all know what it means to have a rep, don't we? Maybe in our places of work or places of study, you have a rep, someone who represents your sort of line of work, and they speak to like a higher authority on your behalf. And what are you looking for in a good rep? Someone who's got a good relationship with this person in high authority, isn't it? Who knows that person well, who can speak to them well. What kind of representative do we want to speak to the most high God for us? Well, you can't get a better representative than his very own son. He is our rep, isn't he, Jesus? I said, oh yeah, the boss is my dad. <laughs> I can speak to him about anything, isn't it? I've got a really good relationship with him. Could you imagine if your union rep or whatever was the boss's son, isn't it? You'd feel, oh, what confidence. So the job of the priest was to go to God on behalf of the people. And his work very often involved sacrifices But verse 2 is interesting, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Now, very often, when you think of the word priest, what do you think of? You think of him performing sort of ceremonies, don't you? Sacrifices. And that is true. But it's not just ceremonies the high priest would perform. He would also do sort of pastoral work, wouldn't he? And very often, I don't think about that. He was basically shepherding the people. He'd be dealing gently with sheep who sort of went astray, the people who went astray, who would turn away from the faith or would turn to sin. He'd go looking for them, and he'd deal gently with them, saying, why are you mucking about over there with sin? Why have you turned away from the faith? And he'd deal gently with them and bring them back. So that's the work of the priest, kind of like a pastor. Yeah, he would perform ceremonies, the work of sacrifice, but he would represent the people before God. He would go on behalf of the people before God. But how could anyone qualify to be a high priest? Well, a high priest is to be a real human being. What do we read there in this one? Every high priest is selected among the people. So he had to be a human being. The high priest couldn't be the archangel Michael. The high priest couldn't be the angel Gabriel. Couldn't be an angel. He had to be a real man, flesh and blood. And what else qualified someone to be a high priest? Uh, What do we read in verse 4? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 4. What do we read here? And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So nobody appointed themselves. You couldn't turn up at like a career's day. Do they still do that in schools, career's day? Yeah, probably, don't they? Could you imagine if you turned up at your career's day say, so what would you like to be? Ah, fancy high priest. <laughs> it just didn't work. like. Whoa, whoa, it doesn't work like that. It's not just something you fancy. You've got to be called by God to be high priest. They had to be called by God just as Aaron was. And do you remember how Aaron was called to be high priest? It's a great story, isn't it? It's one of my favorites. Numbers chapter 17. Shall we have a cheeky little look at it? Numbers chapter 17. Starting at verse 1 in the Old Testament. So, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible, and chapter 17. So, the Lord said to Moses, so the situation was that people were sort of rebelling against those in authority, rebelling against sort of Moses and Aaron. So, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of the ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name. And there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, in front of the ark of the covenant law, where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you, Moses, by the Israelites. So what happens next, verse six. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. And Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. And verse 8, the next day Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. These were dead pieces of stick, weren't they? Could you imagine if like an old man's stick started budding sort of flowers and then nuts was growing on it? It's like, what sort of miracle is that? Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them. That's significant. So all the people, all the Israelites looked at them. And each of the leaders took his own staff. The Lord said to Moses, Put back Aaron's staff in front of the ark of the covenant law to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And then verse 12 and 13 says, the Israelites said to Moses, we will die. We are lost. We are all lost. Anyone who even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we all going to die? It's such a great story, isn't it? It's so dramatic. It's an epic story, isn't it? The wood that brought life. And what does that cause us to think about? A wood that brings life. Well, we thought about it this morning, isn't it? Yeah, the cross, isn't it? The cross has brought us life, isn't it? But what happened in Numbers chapter 17 is what should happen in local churches, sort of even today, not the exact same thing. But if someone is going to hold an office of elder or deacon or maybe evangelist in some churches, the whole church should see the fruit and acknowledge that this person is called by God. That's why we vote sort of people into the office of elder or deacon, isn't it? We want the whole church to say, "Yeah, I've seen fruit in this guy. I acknowledge that he's gifted and called by God. We've seen the fruit," isn't it? But I think the problem with the church today that there are too many self-appointed people. Have you noticed that self-appointed people? People who just have like a bit of a funny feeling in their stomach. And then they feel that God has called them to sort of plant a church in their living room. (laughs) Isn't it? Because they had like a bit of a funny feeling in their stomach. So I'm going to start my own church. I believe God has called me. I say, well, no, it doesn't work like that. You're called by the body of Christ, aren't you? The church have to see and recognize the fruit. The church have to see and recognize the fruit in your life that God is truly calling you. Anyway, that's rant over there. (laughs) So the high priest had to be a real man, a real human being, and called by God. So the question is, does Jesus meet these qualifications? Yeah, of course Jesus meets those qualifications. Jesus became a real man, and he certainly was called by God. Jesus meets these qualifications, and he betters them, doesn't he? He betters them. Jesus wasn't a self-appointed high priest. He was called by God. And we see that in verses 5 and 6, don't we? So back to Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. So Jesus qualified to be high priest because he was called by God. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever, an eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Old Testament priests were from the tribe of Levi, weren't they? The Levitical priests from the tribe of Levi. So, they were all sort of descendants of Aaron. So, then we're thinking, how on earth could Jesus be high priest? He wasn't a descendant of Aaron. What tribe was Jesus from? Does anyone know? He's really impressed if one of the young people know. He's from the tribe of Judah. Judah. So Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. So Jesus wasn't a descendant of Aaron, but Jesus was a priest forever. Jesus was a priest before Levi even existed, before Aaron even existed. Jesus was a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So who was Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek, was someone who met Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek meets Abraham, and Melchizedek is called priest of the Most High God. So Melchizedek was a priest before the Levitical priesthood. Now, we haven't got time to go into Melchizedek. Maybe we might hear a bit about him next week. Don't count on it. We might, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he he gets a bit of a mensch, doesn't he, in the book of Hebrews. Even in chapter 7 is heavy on Melchizedek. So maybe not next week, maybe another. I think it's you, is it, Austin? Oh, yeah, Austin's going to deal with this. But what I will say, what I will say is that in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek is called the king of Salem. So, what does Salem mean or Salem? It means peace. So, Melchizedek is the king of peace. And his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Anyway, who's the king of peace, king of righteousness? I don't know. I I think it's obvious, but anyway, it's quite controversial. So, Jesus qualifies to be our great high priest because he was called by God And Jesus also qualifies to be our great high priest because he was a real man. And we're thinking about that approaching Christmas, aren't we? But God became man. So what do we read in verses 7 to 8 of Hebrews chapter 5? Well, verses 7 to 10, really. So Jesus qualifies to be our great high priest because he's a real man. Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 10. and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But Jesus was greater, wasn't he? Because Jesus was sinless. Jesus became a man, a member of the human race, but he was sinless. Because what do we read in verse 3? Hebrews chapter 5 verse 3 This is why he, so a high priest, this is why a high priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Jesus never had to offer sacrifice for his own sins, did he? Because what do we read in verse 15? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus, our sinless saviour. But here's something to think about. Could Jesus have died for our sins as a baby? So Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem. So could he have been sacrificed there and then for the sins of the world? No, he had to live an obedient life, didn't he? He had to live out the law. He had to obey the law. He had to live a perfect, sinless human life. The perfect, sinless human life that we couldn't live. Jesus became a member of the human race and he had to live as a member of the human race. The perfect life that we couldn't live. But then... Verse 9 is a strange one, isn't it? What does that mean? What does it mean, once made perfect? That's a strange one, isn't it? Shall I read from verse 8 to get a bit more of the flow of it? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. Son, though he was, he learnt obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's a strange one, isn't it? So was there something imperfect about Jesus? No, it'd be blasphemous, wouldn't it, to say, ah, Jesus was imperfect. Well, apparently, it's, it's more of a translation issue. So that word perfect is the Greek word Tele. am oh, I getting tongue tied here. Yeah? Tele your face. Tele your face. Yeah, that's perfect, isn't it? That's, that's how you say it. Yeah. I'm very rusty in my Greek. So it's, it's, it sounds a bit like what Jesus said on the cross it is finished. Tetelestai, isn't it? It is finished. The job is complete. So that word, teleothes, means to accomplish, to complete. And it all talks about suffering, doesn't it? Verse 8 and 9. So Jesus completed the job, isn't it? It's completed. It's accomplished. It's not that Jesus was imperfect, but he had to do everything. Jesus couldn't just die as a baby, could he? They couldn't have just sort of drowned him, maybe for the sins of the world. He had to be sacrificed just like the Passover lamb, hadn't he? Jesus had to be sacrificed to fulfill the ancient prophecy. It had to be done just like the ancient prophecies predicted. There had to be blood shed, hadn't there? And he had to die as a man, a real man who lived the perfect, sinless life for us. Isn't that just breathtaking? Isn't it just mind-blowing? Jesus, our great high priest for us. And in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10, I don't know about you, but I find there's lessons there for us on how we should pray, and how we should pray. We can learn from Jesus in how we should pray as well. What do we read? Let's read those uh, verses again. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard, why? Because of his reverent submission. Do you think there are lessons for us there on how to pray? How should we pray? with fervent cries and sometimes tears. And here's a question for us. Here's a question for for me. When did I pray last with a fervent cry? When did I last pray with tears? And how should we pray? How can our prayers be heard? And he was heard because of his reverent submission. We should always pray, God, I'm submitting to you. Not what I will but what you will be done, isn't it? That's how we should pray all the time, saying, not God, I want this, I want that, I want the other. No, that you will be done in my life. This is what's on my heart. This is my sort of desire. Is it in line with your will? Sort of search me, try me. I just want to submit to you. You are God. I want you to be God in my life. Someone said something very interesting uh, recently. They said the problem with the church is that there are too many atheists as members of the church. I said what the problem with the church that there are too many atheists as members of the church? I said, what? What are you talking about? So oh, no, no, they they might say that they believe, but they are practical atheists. And you can see that by their prayer life. So when we don't pray like this, with fervent cries, when we don't pray with reverent submission to God, we're practical atheists, aren't we? When we live our life without prayer, we're basically like atheists. We try and work our ways through life without prayer. It's like... Don't really believe in God. Practical atheism. There's too much of it. I'm ashamed to say, probably in my life and maybe the life of the church. Do we pray with that reverent submission and with fervent cries and tears? And how can we pray? How can we approach the throne of God? Because of Jesus, our high priest. And when we approach the throne of God, what do we get? We get mercy and we get grace to help us to keep going to the end.